Hello, you're listening to a spoiler-filled film conversation. Hooray! Wakey, wakey, rise and shine. Oh, happy again. Podcast time, everyone. Oh, who's, who's that snoring at the back? It's Anthony. Let's, let's leave Anthony sleeping. He's not here this week, is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> The film's called Light Sleeper, guys. It's like a it's like a riff on the concept of sleep and uh, waking up. Yeah, that's the intro. That's the vibe I'm going with the intro. Yeah, and it vaguely comes up once in the film and then never again. Do they even say the sent the words Light I mean, Sleeper? It's more about like not sleeping well, but like does does he does he even say Light Sleeper? He I no, think he does actually. He says at one point that he he isn't sleeping well, but it's yeah, that's it. We can't call it that, though, can you? Not, not Sleepy Well, the movie. <laughs> I believe it was supposed to just be called Drug Dealer because it's part of the tr- a trilogy. Trilogy of drug deals? No, of uh, it's a like uh, Taxi Driver, American Gigolo, and this. That's quite an erection. Thank you. If you deliver... degrees. <laughs> straight up. That's a weird thing to say to anyone, isn't it? <laughs> Even in context. That's quite the erection. It's like, um, <laughs> well, I, I don't know about you. It was a shit one. Because that's <laughs> the only context I could think that I might say that to someone, is if it was in total irony. There's, t- there's two kinds. No, there's one kind of erection. A, a good erection, or is that an erection? Because there's no... <laughs> either you're erecting or not. There's none of this fucking half-mast shit. Thread rope. Humescent. Too messy and direct. This is early doors for erection chat. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was a weird thing to say. I mean, I, I mean, I personally, when I'm kneeling down face to face with a woman, and we're both naked and haven't had sex yet. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's quite apart. That's quite apart from the context that they. Got horny and had sex after he went to visit her dying mother in the oh. hospital. <laughs> what a turn on. Right. Uh, <laughs> let's. This is a little soon, guys. Because I should be saying what the film is we're discussing and saying who these characters are played by and stuff. So that's just... all I've been thinking about since I watched it. <laughs> I appreciate it. It's, it's hard to be raring to go, so to speak, with this film. There's not like heaps <laughs> to say. But I think uh, the sexy of this is obviously caught our imaginations. But just to hold off, before there's uh, sex, there has to be the scene. And the scene and all the other scenes in it were written by and directed by Paul Schrader from 1982 and stars Willem Dafoe, Susan Sarandon, Dana Delaney, David Clennon, uh, a bunch who, who, there were a few cameos in there, like David Spade was in there and uh, who else did we recognise? I don't know. I recognise somebody. My oh, my yeah. Twin Peaks connection. Go on. Jane Adams, the uh, the daughter of his uh, ex, who is in the aforementioned bizarre sex scene. Oh, well, well done. <laughs> Good. Uh, is there any more any more connections to anything? Any Mario Brothers idiots in it or anything? <laughs> um. Hmm. I don't think so. Okay. Anyway, uh, the film is about uh, kind of mid-level, middle-class drug dealers going through a a kind of midlife crisis. A lot of mids. 
midlife crisis. Um, basically, Willem Dafoe is a character called uh, Johnny. And Johnny is weighing up whether or not he should get out of the drug business or give his life a bit more purpose or get back with his ex. There's an option on the cards for him as the film goes on. Uh, so, yes, the, the goings-on of New York mid-level drug dealers, basically. And uh, not so much about the sleep they can't make, but it is about the terrible directories one of them writes and the uh, pretentious and quite shallow thoughts they share. I don't know. Anyway, Light Sleeper. Um, I picked it. Why did I pick it? Good question, Rich. I'll answer you now. Any any second. Um, I guess because I like Paul Schrader's creative output, a lot of it. I mean, he's done heaps of good things. Uh, I mean, most notably, probably like Taxi Driver. Uh, but I also quite like the film Hardcore, uh, Yakuza. Uh, I'm not a big fan of Raging Bull, but it, I mean, he did do it. Fair play. Uh, I believe Abby, you've seen the film Rolling Thunder. Oh no, wait, shit, that's not you. That's your Thunder Al- Thunder in Paradise, Thunder Alley, one of them things. Thunder. <clears throat> I've seen Thunder Paradise and Thunder Alley, but isn't Thunder in Paradise the Hulk Hogan? Yeah, p- yes, show? yeah. No, he didn't do Thunder in Paradise. <laughs> no, he did. No, to me. Okay. In Paradise. Yeah, I remember that too. Yeah, Hulk Hogan then... on a boat, night boat, the crime-solving boat. <laughs> yeah. And he also uh, did a previous podcast entry we, we discussed, apparently without Jamie, which was the Mosquito Coast, uh, the Harrison Ford, I'm going to ruin my family's life movie. The, the, the Harrison Ford playing an absolute dickhead with no redeeming qualities film. But I, I've i only ever seen it once. I liked it, but I get the impression that nobody on the podcast did. We did not. Par for the course. There's a magic ice machine in it. <laughs> magic ice. Take that to the to the to, um, Amazon. I believe Look. it was based on a true story? Yeah, the true story of magic ice machines. Yeah. <laughs> it's Harrison Ford's favourite film that he's done. It's probably because it's so close to real life where he's a man driving his family back. No, I don't know. <laughs> Seems curmudgeonly. I don't know that it extends to being an awful parent. Uh, anyway, this is off topic. Let's get back to Light Sleeper. I hadn't seen this one before, but I was on a good run of... Uh, of movies by this guy, and I was like, oh, do you know what? This this one was highly rated. Paul Schrader, he's always good for um, CD Vice related uh, crime dramas. I think I don't know if it's in the pod or not, Jamie, but you said you were supposed to be a part of a a trilogy of of grimy yeah. movies, right? Gigolo, American like Gigolo, Taxi Yeah, it's like a it's it's a thematic trilogy about loners. I think so. Like Taxi Driver is the first one, American Gigolo is the second one, and then this is the third one. And this, it, they're all supposed to be like focused on like l- like loner kind of weird, awkward characters and think the things that happen like around them. I it I, it makes sense, but mm. well, I'll get I'll get into my thoughts on this one. I don't know how re- how highly regarded this is because I, f- I feel like I'm gonna be. Going against the grain here, if that's the case. I say highly regarded in that on my letterboxed account, the people I follow are like, oh, yeah, it's fucking sweet, man. That's great. Good stuff. Proper adult movie. I think a lot hinges on whether or not you can get over the music or even recognize that the music is bad because some people can't. I can't. 
instantly infuriating in the music class. You, it was you, you, aggressively oh. distracting. Just shit pop. Not even pop. You can't even say it's pop because that genre of music was now popular. But it's like white guy synthesized blues. <laughs> like, yeah. Middle class this, like, blues. Weird voice that's. I don't know who he's trying to imitate. I, imitate. I don't know who the singer is, but like, oh, I just is it I mean, blues? It's like sort of whiny bitch fucking it's like, music before emo was a thing. Yeah, it, it. I would. I would say it was. Yeah, I would say it's like very bland. Uh, I like haven't got a girlfriend anymore. Music. White guy blues, and like oh. the lyrics are all about just sort of looking. And I looked over there, and then I looked at this over here. And then I was sad. Yeah. <laughs> Which it's is kind of what the film is about as well. It's not like good, authentic Delta blues or something, or no. some sort of like like about black people really suffering, but fuck it, what are you going to do? I'm going to be happy not, like, about it anyway. I mean, uh, like comparing it to like the music in like Taxi Driver, which is also that kind of jazz, that's like a very like deliberately abrasive like high like saxophone that's sort of like jarring and sad whereas this but, is but just it's not like sa- it's the singing that, that really takes yeah, no, uh, it yeah. isn't it but i mean it is the work, singing, i think but it's also the fucking red shoe diaries uh, um mm. <laughs> music that also accompanies without the singing Whenever the singing started, that was I when I started hitting the skip ten seconds ahead <laughs> thing on <laughs> Amazon. God, yeah. Um, so yeah, problem one: the music. Uh, Abby, what were you expecting from this? Do you any expectations of what it might be? Well, the thing of it is, when you watch a trailer, you know it's going to spoil a certain amount of stuff for you, but they're not really going to give away the the big whatever it is. Hmm. But this trailer actually perfectly set the tone and told you everything you needed to know about this film. There's a guy in a car. He walks. He talks. He walks in a car. Gets in a car. I see. And he has some friends. But are they really friends? (laughs) It's just... There are a lot of big personality actors who are being told to, like, underplay everything. Yeah. Make sure the dialogue is such that even if there's important details, people stop listening because it's so it's so inane. Some <laughs> points where you just couldn't hear it even if you wanted to. Well, I think we had the washing machine on in the background, so that was. Yeah, I I think it's more, it's more that it might have just been sliding off your brain <laughs> as you were like trying to pay attention to it. Yeah, I'm not saying actors need to be like, "Hello." My deal is this, and I no, think, I mean, you know. well, no, that's the thing, though. That is what they do in this film. Like, that's part of the thing. Is like, it's it's a lot of walking around and telling you, the viewer, how everyone feels. But, but it's like in naturalistic settings and conversations uh, as well. It's it's very it's a very gritty, realistic movie. Um, <laughs> you don't think so? It well, feels like it's meant to reflect real life, not be some. Heightened crime drama of yeah. cool people, you know. It's the opposite of heightened. Lord, <laughs> that's what this is. Flat. It's it's not that it's unrealistic, but it's also people have feelings, which they just just didn't seem to, they didn't have them in this. Well, mm. I think it's just people who 
dealt drugs in the 80s and now are kind of washed up middle-aged people who are less relevant. <laughs> just say no, kids. <laughs> just, uh, just, you know, develop um, feelings. Uh, it's the ultimate know, cautionary tale. Like, don't do drugs because you become really boring. <laughs> <laughs> no, man, I love your letters. Wow. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah. Uh, anyway, mate, let's, uh, I mean, we obviously, I'm surprised how raring to go we are because we are, you know, we saw still in expectations uh, mode. Yeah. Oh, oh sort yeah. of. Well, but my expectations were bloke in a car. There's not that much to it. Sure, sure. Well, he did deliver on that. Was it odd that he was taking like he said, like a personal driver? This this is a drug dealer who he's not street level selling it on the corner to. They anyone. have money. Is, you are. They have money. Like they've made. Yeah, like, they seem to have made quite a lot over time. Exactly, but so this, you know, like yeah, I know, but like just get a fucking cab in it, like. I, I, is a private car in New York more much more expensive than just getting a taxi everywhere? I guess the thing is you can't instantly get to the next place, is it? Easier than driving yourself? I suppose it's not that big a deal, having a driver and being it's a drug dealer. I just... It, it's not that. I just question him, like... Uh, I, okay, yeah, the, the transport system of New York is more the problem in that case, I suppose. But these are, these are people who... They're like they're not like high flying, you know. They're not Scarface drug dealers, and they're not uh, the wire, like lowest ebb drug dealers. These are, you know, white, sort of middle class, but they're like they will probably were yuppies uh, and drug addicts who've uh, become a bit boring and middle aged and are still doing it, and uh, they made it into a successful business. They can afford big apartments that they don't put any nice furniture in. Uh, and they don't have much going socially, and they seem to just, you know, fart around rather than uh, have any urgency, right? Yeah, it's still a job for them. Like uh, Willem Dafoe is playing Johnny, who's the go and deliver the drugs to the people who are paying top dollar because, you know, this is safe. Get it delivered to your door. This is like Deliveroo drugs, right? Rather than just <laughs> go to a street corner and blow a guy drugs, right? Yeah, this is like DoorDash. Yeah, but these these so these people are a success and it's a proper business, but like they're not uh, you know, gold plated hotel rooms and swimming pool in the floor rich. You know, that's just to solve but that's the I think that's the weird thing about it is in films you almost never get a group that's this established and hasn't been to jail. Yeah, it's like they're they're protected from being higher up out of the gutter, uh, but you know the guy is saying like basically is it he he says Johnny played by Willem Dafoe is like I only ever carry this much on me because it's the difference between like uh, possession and drug dealing and oh, the yeah. terms different or something. So maybe they're also they're, they're too sensible so that they're not a huge dramatic uh, success, which make which you know makes for a good film. And they're not so low key that it's a kitchen sink drama, and everything, every part of your life is a pain in the ass. So they're kind of they're in the safe zone where they're buffered and and professional enough, but you know it doesn't. It means you don't. It doesn't pay off that much either. Perhaps plus they, you know they sort of you know they they are they're all right. They're, they're just getting on, and maybe they should have got out of dealing, dealing drugs by now. And they and part of it is they are transitioning. Uh, Anne, Anne is it? She's uh, Susan Sarandon, 
played by. And so she is the the owner operator of this drug. Like the she's dealing. like the madam, but for this like little drug dealing operation. Yeah, seemingly there's a trio of them. There's like a mustachioed, earringed, middle aged gay guy, right? Well, who's that? Robert. By? Uh, David Clennon. He's Clennon, right? So, and I, I thought there were a couple of them. They were like a slightly, you know. Like just a couple, but they weren't. He, he's a gay guy, and it's, it is inferred in the dialogue. But it also is you know, still pay attention to some of it. So you're like, oh, then yeah. they they seem like they're more the same level, even though I think Anne is in charge. Yeah, and then Defoe is electing to have a lower down role, mainly because he doesn't trust himself or something. I don't know. He's, he he works at Anne's behest, but they're good friends who go back a long time. They're like an established group, aren't they? They're like a trio. And uh, but they have to. There's still a lot of you know door to door shit they have to do. Uh, and Johnny's the guy who does it and whatnot. There's money to count, drugs to be schmoozed uh, and given over to people. Uh, they, they seem to have commitments. All of their their big name clients are like, well, we have to keep them because they're our connection to either more clients or drugs or something. This seems to be like a we're beholden to difficult clients. Well, I mean, it's it's where their regular income comes from. Yeah. And there's like one like German guy who they're like, oh, we have to keep him on side because he's maybe going to help us out get into the legit legitimate business business of cosmetics. Which is he German? I thought he was. Isn't oh. he like Swedish or something? His name. Is he... he mentions Zurich. All oh, right. Oh. I beg your pardon. Or not? I just thought because his name is Thies Thiesbrug. I don't know. Well, They've got three regulars by... though. They've got that right loser schmo. Oh yeah, he the guy who's in his like quarters. Is it the guy in the apartment who's always a mess? Yeah, yeah. Then you've got, it, as per the credits, uh, theological crackhead. <laughs> David uh, Spade in his pants, yammering on about God. And then you've got, uh, what's his name? The oh, German guy, Tiesbrug, Victor Victor Garber. So they've got those three that recur. Uh, David Spade, not so much. It's yeah, that's just a cameo, really. Yeah, Rug, mostly, it, and then the other guy twice, I think. Yeah. Um. Did did uh, the second uh tease appeared on screen? I was like, oh, so he's the villain. Like <laughs> he didn't even fucking say anything. Like the, the the minute he meets him in the hospital, before he even starts talking about how he accidentally had sex with an underage girl or something. Yes. Um. And his glasses are the first indicator of his. He just he fucking yeah. he looks like one of the henchmen from Die Hard. Yeah, sure. Yeah, this is a, this is an odd film as well because it takes place in you know roughly that era of the early nineties. So. Yeah. It's beepers and uh, <laughs> you know phone box calls and stuff. It's and it's cash. Where like now, drug dealers probably just have to have phone apps and crypto and fucking you know, uh, literally send it via DoorDash to you. <laughs> rather than like you know, there must be a different world. This can only exist then, but like in this window of uh, time and culture and then it, the the whole world of drug dealing changes again you know with the next generation and was different in the previous generation so yeah it's a weird window into a very momentary style of drug dealing where you could be a fucking middle class bitch emo and literally wandering around with a beeper going off um 
anyway, so the the this guy, he's a pretty clocked him as a prick. And yeah, the, basically he feels a bit he needs some drugs to calm down for the cops uh that are gonna interview him because he's brought a underaged overdosed girl in. Yeah, so that's great, pretty bad. Very classy people. <laughs> mm. But Willem Willem Defoe's unfazed by it because he deals with scum all the time, I suppose. And uh, and yeah, there's this element of they're a little bit beholden to this guy because he's either he's a connection or he's like a significant buyer, is it? Yeah, I think it's I think it's a bit of both because he like presumably travels a lot and has a lot of connections himself and has a lot yeah. of money, so like they they kind of need to keep him on side. Yeah, because uh, so this is why they they're like. And he's used to them as well. He's like, if he's not friends with them, he's just a casual, knows, knows in a while relationship. I, like, I think they were just, at this stage, though, they're building colour for, like, what's this world that Willem Dafoe inhabits? Mm-hmm. So we just, like, he could have just been an anecdotal, oh, I see, you deal to this kind of prick, do you? Uh, just like David Spade is just, oh, just yammering. And it's just to point out that, yeah, people generally on, on uppers are like, Oh God! Fucking, no, God exists because the idea of God exists, and He implanted it. Do you think all of our thoughts are just pre-recorded when we're born, and then when like we just hit yeah. play, and they yeah, all fucking shut up, yeah, Which you know, but you know, it's, I'm uh, generally didn't enjoy this film, but I thought that scene was a pretty good. Uh, representation of being around someone who is on drugs when you yourself are not on drugs. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's a, it's a well trodden uh, trope, isn't it? I mean it's in all sorts of films like uh, Human Traffic mm. and what's that? Is it? Well, there's loads. I, I was just going to say like like Spun and stuff. Just yeah. you can sort of pick your drug that's an upper, and it's like yeah, blah blah blah. blah. Yeah, yeah, all right. Um. Yeah, it's just that, that it is just a, yeah. This is all a pre-recorded answer for message that God wrote. Yeah, all this bollocks you just said. God needed that conversation to happen. <laughs> but <laughs> the problem is, we also get similar bullshit saying from our main character. Nothing. Yeah, <laughs> sometimes talking to us when you know he's writing his his fucking diary. I felt a tremendous sense of relief when he threw his unfinished diary out of the window. I'm like, yes, oh, I, do, do, please, I, no more of that. I did, but I also thought, hey, all your crimes are in there. Uh, <laughs> you... Well, it's okay. He codes it with with DD standing for drug dealer. <laughs> Can't interpret what that is. It was such a wanky way to say it as well as like he tells us via voiceover that. Um, Oh, yeah. a, drug, a DD, a drug dealer, told me once, uh, when you start writing a diary, you fucking, that's it for you, you dickhead. And then, But that's when I started writing a diary, and I just write it and then throw it away. It's like, what, what are you writing then, you fucking pleb? <laughs> just to practice your fucking ABCs, just watch Sesame Street, you rube. The city's Christ. eating itself. <laughs> I can't remember anything else. Batman writing his bad diary. Or Rorschach. DD's journal. The streets are covered in bin bags. This fucking dirty street. When is this fucking strike going to be over? I want to put my recycling out. Oh, maybe I should kill someone. Make myself feel better. 
Uh, yeah, there's a bin strike on. Hooray, good. I'm glad there's trash on the streets. It's sort of like a metaphor, guys. You know, taxi yeah. driver wanted to clean the filth off the streets. And then in this one, he failed. Uh, there's lots of extra trash on the streets. And uh, in a way, yeah, the trash like a metaphor, yeah, for like society and the way we treat people, you know? Okay, slow down. <laughs> <laughs> you know, in a way. Um, it's very... So this is... I don't, qu- I don't quite know how to articulate this properly, which also uh, kind of makes me... Uh, sound like I, I'm not in any sort of place to criticize Porsche there, but um, he's this. How do I put this? You can tell this film was directed by a writer as opposed to a director. Like if you look at this versus like Taxi Driver, and you know, obviously they are of a piece and they're considered like thematically part of a trilogy at least Mm. for Schrader Taxi Driver doesn't come across in the same way as this does even though they are in a lot of ways very similar in how they play out and I think a lot of directed a lot of films though he's just not as good as someone like Scorsese yeah and that's what I like this is a to me at least this is this whole film is a really good example of why there needs to be some kind of like separation so that you have that like collaboration between a writer and a director rather than just one person doing it themselves. It kind of made me think of um, uh, ages and ages ago when we did uh, The Ninth Configuration, which is written and directed by William Blassie. And that film is very much like a writer directing their own writing so it's a very like literary movie so it has a lot of this like florid dialogue in it and like that's kind of the focus um the the other problem you have when you write a director is uh, you haven't had to sell the script to the director as a yes. don't you just love this so, yeah. And then the director isn't, you haven't got a director who's excited to direct someone's thing. Or is you, there to you tell yourself you no. to just, yeah. You haven't got someone to say, can you change a few things? Or yeah. what I like about it is this. And it's, you know, you've just gone, I will now do the thing I've imagined. <laughs> Thank this you. This idea that I'm in love with, that no one's yeah. like t- telling me otherwise or giving me other ideas, kind of like, um, again, not to, not to accidentally turn this into an Exorcist podcast, but like, uh, William Friedkin reading William Blatty's script for what he wanted to do with The Exorcist and being like, no, 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 bullshit. This is how we should do it. And like just rewriting the script himself um, and taking out all of the like symbolism and stuff that Blatty wanted to put in there and making it very like straightforward and grounded. Um, yeah, like I, I mean... can see that in Taxi Driver with Scorsese and, and Trader here. Uh, yeah, but the other thing you get from a writer is someone who thinks that prose is in, interesting in and of itself. So our protagonist should write prose. Yeah, and it should be a kind of self-reflective exercise. And then <sighs> to, you, you can write lists like people with left hands, people with different eye colors. Oh, that's that's the sort of fun stuff a drug dealer puts in their diary when they're having a little think. Abby, you you write. What did you think? Is is that do you like the writing drug dealer in this? I think 
it's I think it's because you know what he has written is making it sound more interesting than it is. If you just read it, you'd be like, oh, you know, he's an interesting guy. He has this mm. life. He does these things. But you actually see it and you're like, oh, you're full of shit and dull. Yeah. <laughs> Got you. That's it. That's what I uh, that's what I was thinking for a lot of this film is that, like, I can kind of see how, like, if you'd sat down with the actual, like, screenplay and read it, it wouldn't come across as sort of wanky as it does in the actual film like it's the it's the the problem isn't necessarily the screenplay it's more the presentation of this of the, like the way it translates to the screen yeah maybe i mean it's we're in nitpick territory i think you know the fact that he is a diarist who throws his diary away it gives you uh, a sense that he's a bit um I don't know, self-reflective and uh, trying to be deep. Uh, you know, that's that. That's not that big a problem. It's you know, it's just painting him a, like this is a guy who does that, but he also sees us a, a psychic. Is it a psychic? What are they called when they? Oh you know, yeah, yeah, like a, it is. Yeah, like no, a she reading is a psych- about. Yeah, she's a psychic. That I thought that was strange because like, I couldn't tell if the film was playing it as she actually has. Psychic powers or not? Presented it like her. Her, if it was real life, she'd be like, uh, what's it called? Like hot, hot cold reading or cold hot reading. reading. You know, some stuff. Like, sure, she asks him questions like, yeah, how, like when you ask like, who referred you, you can go, oh well, if you were referred by this person, you mean you know them? Yeah, I yeah. Can, I I can tell stuff about you from all the information I have. So whether she was hot or cold reading him doesn't matter because in the script she's quite astute at guessing. A lot of details that can be applied to him, and then gives him like you know nice vague uh, things to say about oh you know what's some of the advice she gives like the problems you not the things around you or some shit in it. Uh, one All thing she problem- said, which uh, made me feel better, was uh, when he said that he was uh, almost forty, and she said well, you're still young. Yeah, I, I thought, appreciate that too. Oh, that was nice. What's <laughs> nice as well is he said 37 at first, and I was like, I'm 37. And then he goes, mm-hmm. well, I'm 40. And I go, thank fuck. Uh, Three <laughs> more years before I look like Willem Dafoe. <laughs> <laughs> Those would be some very weird years for you to end up looking like Willem Dafoe. <laughs> yeah, I'd, have to, I'd have to get on the drugs quick smart, I think, to get down this, <laughs> the, burn the energy off and uh, affect myself in such a way. Yeah, I don't know. So yeah, do you think the psychic is meant to be genuinely psychic or not? Later on, she says some stuff that is like actually what's happening. And I was like, well, that's fucking weird. Is is it so she just has she has a gift? I mean, she's fine, I guess. <laughs> she should be the story, right? If she's an actual psychic. <laughs> You're fucking writing about some ho hum drug dealer. Got a genuine psychic. It's just the. It's just a, a writer can write a psychic to be accurate, isn't it? I mean, yeah. If it was again, a genuine psychic, could be like, oh, fuck, that's that's pretty good. That's it's pretty one good, of those uh... things that is. Uh, it's like a literary device kind of thing. Like it's it's. I could see that working if this was like a novel. I think I th- I think I thought that a few times while I was watching the film as like if this was like written as a. Like if this was just a book rather than a movie, I could see it being more interesting. 
yeah, it's it, in a way this the nature of the story you've suited a book. But yeah. uh, you know, it was a screen it was a screenplay, so um I, I do like that they included that when Defoe turns up where he's in a kind of crisis, he turns to this uh psychic woman who's quite a formal psychic, she's not like you know, some person you pay outside a tent. This is like a person with, a, with an office office hours and business cards. Um and she turns up he turns up, knocks on her door before she's, you know, without an appointment and kind of flags his way in to get a read, like, look at my aura or whatever and tell me some stuff. I'm having a having a rough time. And she she does accurately say stuff, but she also quickly wants to fob him off and get him out of there because yeah, could be a potentially dangerous guy and he's called at the wrong time. It's kind of like, fuck, uh, you might be able to pay, but, like, I, you know, I got appointments and stuff at a booking in system to get like, fuck off, fuck off now, I'm sleeping, you know? Like, so it's not like um, she's just there for paid advice and to try and, you know, give people readings that can be helpful to them and have them come back next time for further insight into their lives. So I like that they included that she doesn't want to deal with him that much. It's, 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 it is a liberty to just be like, you got to tell me my future, please. All right, mate, you, you're a dickhead. You should do, he's coming. Say? You, you, look, <laughs> you look sad, I'm guessing. You're, you're, you've got death going on in your life. Uh, you know, your problems are your own making. See you later. Kisses, bye. Oh, what does the... Willem Dafoe says, he says a funny line early on when he's leaving his friends. He's like, he, he, he goes, big kiss. And then does a little, uh, blows a kiss to uh, his friends before he leaves. Which I liked. Oh, uh, dear. What did you... Uh, what do you think of the trio in this, Abby? Do, um, are they worthwhile characters? I thought they were okay. I can't really tell you what any of... Except for John. I don't know what they did. Well, you know they yeah. did drugs. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, like... Robert just sort of stood around. Yeah. <laughs> he, had a, he, had, he had a horrible bum bag. Oh, I know. I did post. think he was taking his trousers off when he first took that off. Yeah, it's like, like oh, what's happened? We're having a menage a trois, obviously. They have a kind of relationship that suggests they're a trio that might be intimate. There is, that, yeah. I mean, at the end of the film, they yes. they do talk about that, about how they tried and failed to have sex because they were too high once. Well, Johnny and Anna did, yeah. Not yeah. this other guy. Yeah, it was like, a, did, did we? It was a really crass way to say it. Like, you're, you're, like, he says it at the end to her, and it's just like, did we fuck? It was like, um, does it matter if we did or not? If you don't fucking remember, who made it not out? Yeah. Our but, film is very cool and classy. The way it talks about sex is so vulgar and shit. Because <laughs> <laughs> there's keeping it real, and then there's being tasteless, isn't it? I, I feel like, you know, even people who their life is debauchery or just you know, they're realistic people who have sex and it, it could be casual or quite perverse or something. They don't go, did we fuck? <laughs> like, no. I like, mean, we're, we're not there yet, but the the actual sex scene in the film... Uh, well, we all put in the directions. I mean, we will get there. I just, yeah, there's like a, like a... It's unsophisticated. You know, you're supposed to sort of hide that conversation in nuance if you're a bit classy. And if you're low, you just you're not as awkward as these people are, I guess. But it did feel like they were gonna fuck each other. They possibly even were a menage a trois. And then as we go through the film, it becomes all oh, right, so Anna's in charge of 
yeah has well has been since the 80s and you guys are you know, like johnny's like a hanger on he, he, like he's been working for a uh, for long enough now they're a well-established team that, that you know but uh it's, it's professional but they're all really good they're quite casual friends and stuff um and, it, and their conversation is is more often about the branding they're going to go with with their new cosmetics line. They're tr- like she's trying to invent some cosmetic stuff yeah. for moisturizers and things. And there's a sense now, oh, look, we're getting old. We've got to get out of the business, <laughs> go legitimate. And uh, there's a sense that they might be bullshitting as well. Like they, they, you always make plans and never follow through vibes, which does get addressed at the end. Which I think is something anyway. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, the sex then that is had in the movie or inferred is between Johnny and he bumps into yeah he's just he's having his little limo drive uh, his, his private driver is taking him around to the various pickups and drop offs and blah blah blah. Drug I want to give them a slap on the wrist for this. Oh yeah, M- mainly from a writing point of view, you can't call someone Marianne and someone else Anne. <laughs> it's confusing. It's weird. Plus, when you're saying in a rainy street at night in New York, and when everyone's carrying umbrellas, oh yeah, pull up next to that woman with the umbrella. You're like, what? Who is <laughs> fucking one? <laughs> yeah. And then, anyway, Defoe's like, uh, ah, hello. Gay, <laughs> I'll give you a lift. Um, Gay. Defoe impression. <laughs> Thank you. It's brilliant, isn't it? Hello, I'm William Defoe. <laughs> I'll get you, Spider Man. <laughs> With my my hoverboard and pumpkin bombs. Oh no! Sp- Spider Man stabbed me in the bollocks. Oh no! <laughs> That's Spider Man. It? It's so fucking. It's it's like no tangent, but it's so fucking weird that he dies in that PG thirteen Spider Man film by being stabbed in the bollocks with his own glider. It's so fucking strange. It always has been to me. And he gets shot twice at this and doesn't die. So yeah. That's karma. <laughs> uh, you're just desperate about uh, about talking about his dick and balls, aren't you, Jamie? You just don't get so, supposedly creepy, he, creepy naked body act. Willem has a big willy, supposedly. So William William's got a big William, if you will. What does it matter to you? We don't see it in this. He's got a wrinkly back. It's not wrinkly, it's fucking muscular. He's very, very... He's all muscle and no fat tissue, and that's what makes it weird. He's all sinew. Mm. Yes. Well, he has a... He's got that kind of, um, I guess you're more palatable than Steve Buscemi look, but still a certain (laughs) unsettling smile and... I mean, yeah, Willem Dafoe has a strange face. I think think it's okay to say that. (laughs) I'm knocking it. It it got him work, didn't it? Born to play the Joker and yet somehow never has. It's impo- it's, it's amazing. Maybe maybe do like a latter day Joker last minute. But we'll you know currently. I think they I think they were too scared. <laughs> oh, <laughs> we can't it's actually like, let him do it. It's like not casting Tim Curry as the Joker in the Batman animated series because they were like, no, that's, this is this is too terrifying. This, this is for children. We can't we can't do this. <laughs> we've, already killed, we've already killed one actor by making the role too spooky. <laughs> um. Anyway, Willem Dafoe is an ex-druggy and he's kicked the habit for a bit and then he meets someone he knew back when he was... His, his ex-girlfriend was also on the drugs with him. and But they're both over it, or she, she says she is. Uh, and he's like, ooh, 
can I get back in a relationship with you by making small talk and uh, being nice? And she's a bit cold to him and a bit reluctant, but he coincidentally keeps bumping into her at here <laughs> after she's like, no, bye. Yeah, oh, you're at my mum's hospital bed. Hello. Like she rightfully doesn't want to get involved with him because they used to do drugs together. They're both clean. Yeah. The best thing for them to do is to not get involved again. Um, just generally avoid each other. And then yeah, he kind of just stalks her a bit. It's an accident, though. I don't think he, he genuinely is in the hospital for another reason. And then he walks and meets her oh, sister. Oh, that's where he, that, you're right. That's where he meets uh, Teague. And then he bumps into... Wait, is it her sister? I or her daughter? Was. I thought her sister. But I don't know. I can't tell. I'm almost, Like I said, I'm almost 40. I can't tell people's <laughs> ages anymore. I think his sister. Don't matter. What are you going to do? Are you looking at her for what? What's going on? Uh, no, I'm just going to speculate for the rest of the film. But hey! not really. There's only one speculate. You speculated, and then it's like you just name all the different relationship people can have, and eventually you'll hit upon the right one. Yeah, She's cousins. The, the father. <laughs> I think one they that... are some kind of relative rather yes. than friend. Yeah, but it's a daughter. Anyway, <laughs> it's the daughter of the woman with cancer. Anyway, the the, the, the upshot is. They're like, oh shit! I didn't know your mum had cancer. We obviously, yeah. your sister doesn't, or your, your your significant person in your life doesn't know uh, that I'm a, a naughty boy. Very much like you know, he, she the the other woman is like, oh hey, you know, she's much more casual about it. And then uh, what was her name? Marianne was it? Abby? Yeah, uh, Marianne, who's a sort of brunette with short hair, a little bit apprehensive, ex uh, junkie. Is like, look, fuck off. I'll have a cup of tea, brackets, not eat a salad with you in the hospital canteen, if you like. But that's it. Isn't it? That's the, I that's am what he gets. so I'm so done with all American media putting a meal on a table, someone eating one fragment uh. of that meal <laughs> and then leaving it all. I well, I, I can't do it anymore. She didn't even get a cup of coffee for this other woman. He's like, oh, black coffee, and like, oh yeah, yeah. And then he doesn't take a coffee to it. They also they also the scene where like Susan Sarandon and him are just having a, a, a dinner date, and they're at an expensive restaurant having a pile of raspberries <laughs> that she eats one spoonful of. There's one raspberry. He doesn't eat any. No, I know. <laughs> he was look. He was so chipper and happy to be invited out for a nice meal, and he didn't eat a single raspberry. <laughs> Come on, <laughs> I know it's almost like meta the way they're not eating the food at this at that <laughs> point. Um, but anyway, like so, they they uh, this happens, and what's the what's the critical scene where they they hook up? Is it? Oh, you know, he goes and visits the mum who's dying of cancer, and touches her feet. Yeah, the, the 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 other the other relative is sleep is sleeping <laughs> the in the chair. Lady. Yes, he's sleeping in the chair and he just sits there quietly and touches her foot, and then it, like a creep, she comes in the doorway and watches him silently until he touches the foot and is like, "Ah, oh, the fact that you care, you, I'm thinking you were unobserved, you slightly care for my mum, means I want to have weird I sex with you in front of a big ragingly." horny right now and I've got some weird stuff to say to you in the bedroom. Did they have sex in a chapel? What was that massive picture of, like, I, of a okay, or whatever? That was the that was the first indication. Well no, actually 
So, yeah, they start making out in the fucking hospital hallway. In the way of people as well. And then, yeah, it cuts to... The first indicator that this was going to be a really strange sex scene was that it starts with an overhead shot that gradually kind of comes down. Like, it's a really strangely shot scene. Just like Um, your trousers came down. And (laughs) And they're sitting like... It like prop like propped up on their knees face to face. Kneeling, you could call it. <laughs> yes. And um yeah, and then as it like as the camera pans down and you see behind them, there's that weird fucking painting. Yeah, and it's an oddly lit room. A lot of the thing is lit oddly because it's night and atmospheric and stuff. But this room is odd. And then it's they lit start green at the end. I don't know. <laughs> they start talking about how they never had sex like clean. Sober, yeah. Yeah. And then she, and then she says, "That's quite an erection." And <laughs> and then I think he says, "Like, yeah, I never had anything like it." When, like when he was on, um, which I guess makes sense. Right. So now he's so now he's clean. He's able to get a region hard on, I guess. And yeah. then she says. <laughs> <laughs> she says, "Weird, I'm dripping." Oh God, yeah. <laughs> I have. <laughs> I I felt, as a woman, she has every right to say that. But People got a fake, fake wish, sexy talk all the time. <laughs> I wish, with every fibre of my being, that she had not said that. I mean, I just. Based on her acting, she wasn't either. What are you talking about? Yeah. I'm dripping. You fucking it's hell. So it's such a and the thing, like the thing is, you know, there's a the, you know, dirty talk in the heat of the moment is whatever absurdity yeah. it can be because you know if 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 all if all the parties involved are invested, no one is going to give a shit because everyone's all fucking full of hormones. But yeah, the scrub way... the penguin, you filthy zookeeper bitch. <laughs> what? This is the heat of the moment. Pluck my fucking uh, feathers out and give me an egg. What? It's very, very penguin, this. Shut up, you bitch, or shove an ice cube in your igloo. What? Is that what you mean, Jamie? That, that's my sort that's, of interpretation yes, of dirty talk. Exactly. And in, in, in context, between whoever's interested and everyone's between, involved, between fine. a man and his consenting penguin lover. <laughs> but it's. it's it isn't necessarily what she says. It's the way the scene is filmed and the way it's delivered. It's so... It is the weirdest, unsexiest yeah. thing. Are they tipped sideways after that? Like, sort of, <laughs> like oh, well, let's just discreetly vanish. And then they, it is, they just... They cut, they don't we don't see the sex. They we just tip cut sideways. Like fucking Del Boy falling through the bar. Exactly. <laughs> and then we just cut And then Trigger them. made a face. And then saxophone played really badly. Oh god, and the fucking—it's so st- fucking bizarre. Like, but then we get we cut to them post coital, and then there's a bit of boob for the lads. Really. Uh, but fundamentally, <laughs> they're just on the ground slightly. They, they also do a shot where they pull down as if they're going to reveal Willem Dafoe's apparently monstrous cock. <laughs> uh, they, they shy away from showing that off, but they do go. Oh look, there they are on the floor after sex, lit in green yeah. on the floor. Like, I'm, ass- I'm assuming when they tipped sideways, they just fell completely off the bed and then just carried on. 
or just thought they'd had sex because they'd never had it sober before. They were like, was that sex? <laughs> oh, God. And then this this is just, you know, the film is sort of about him and this relationship, and he seems to be become motivated by it. But the, the, the fucked up thing after this is that she has the most efficient breakup with him ever. Yeah. She's like instant, like the like everyone, reg- a lot of people, I was going to say everyone, but more, more, many people regret sex after they finished. Like, oh God, <laughs> I like that you're immediately like everyone. Everyone I have sex Without with fail. Yeah. <laughs> but like, but it's like you you come out of sex brain into, oh God, do I have to, this mess or <laughs> whatever. The shame hits you. It's generally, like, not always. Sometimes it's, you stare at someone in the eyes and you think, I love you very much. I'm so glad that happened. But mostly it's shame, right? Like, it's, you I mean, know, she does, you know. she does say, and again, it's one of the, like, it's unfortunate that it comes after that, like, insane preamble. Because, yeah. The this little scene that happens here, where she like says, "Look, I'm glad you're. I'm glad you're clean. I'm and I'm not. I don't regret that this happened, but we can't see each other again. Get out, you know. Uh, <laughs> that the actual scene itself is is pretty well done, and it's quite like affecting. Like, well, it's, she's this... like she's insane though, because she's gone from I'm dripping to <laughs> I respect you and value you as a person, but I will never see you again." You are bad for me, and this will not happen. I give you. That's I what I mean. That. Like in it, in and of itself, this little scene of her leaving and and like breaking his heart and his brain, because this is where he starts kind of stalking her, um, is like. It's I'm afraid good in isolation. Only, I'm afraid consent is only ever rented. You never get full consent ever. So I take back consent. Never. You will never touch me again. Good day. And he doesn't like it, is the thing, isn't he? Yeah, and then he starts doing weird stuff, like phoning the hotel room to hear her say her pre-recorded voice when, on the answer when, machine. When he, when he, record, he like phones the answer phone and gets the, the generic message and then her saying a name, he records it on his mega, his massive boombox, which is his only form of entertainment, <laughs> beyond, beyond his diary he throws away. Like I, when he recorded it, maybe I've watched too much like Brett Better Call Saul or Breaking Bad, but I assumed he was going to do some weird swindle where he records her answer phone to use in some sort of con. But it's no, it's just literally. Did you hear her say her he's over just, him very he's quickly? Just turning, uh, he's turning on his like incel mode. <laughs> it was such a shit answer phone as well. It was like just a name. Literally, just her saying her name in a flat voice. Rewind back, hear it again. Oh. I love you so much. <laughs> it was brutal, though. It was like real, like yes, I fucked my ex, and we were sober, and it was good, and yeah, yeah. And then no, she it's... absolutely hit the ejector seat and ran away from it. <laughs> <laughs> and it, yeah, no, it is like I said, it's one of the more effective scenes of the film. Um, and it, it's sort of this point is kind of where the film starts to pick up, but the problem is it's taken so long for any of this to get interesting. And it comes after that bizarre sex scene that it's like, oh, I don't. Uh, and then he starts walking around. I think also interjected in here in certain parts is him walking around with that god awful song mm. playing. So it's like, oh, any momentum that this may have been building up has now been completely sucked out of it. Mm. It's, a, it's a lot to sit through for just 
what builds to something, but not really. It's not like what a journey. It's just you know, oh, you've painted a portrait of boring drug dealers. Well done. Abby, you got anything in notes you, you want to bring up, or should we just pl plow on with, with what goes on? Let's have a loop. Sam Rockwell's leather jacket that just says Germany on the back. That was interesting. I, Sam Rockwell's one of those actors who turns up in these old films, and I never recognise him. <laughs> and then I read the credits, and I go, what the f Where was he? He was under. He was swimming under a personality leather jacket, <laughs> just full of text and vibrant oranges and blacks, and just fucking hell, the size of it. It didn't even clock that it was him. Well, it was, was a great of... jacket. I I won it, but yeah, it was clearly not his size hell. either. They maybe to they... put out a fire. Sorry, Abby. They just knew the jacket they wanted, and it didn't matter who was inside. <laughs> he's, he's only there to, you know, receive some drugs that he pays for, and I think bring up. He's the first person to bring up. There was someone, a young girl, was killed in the park, and it was connected to drugs in some way. So, like his character's the... name was Jealous. His name was Jealous. Jealous. Yeah. Okay. Jelly. Well, JLS. All all he was doing was saying, "Oh, there's been a murder," and. The police are giving a hard time to mid-tier drug dealers, and that's it. That pays off later when Willem Dafoe clocks that there's a cop looking looking at one of his clients, or, or just a guy who stands out as a cop just because they can't dress appropriately. That was a trope, I guess. Is I think it's in Taxi Driver as well. It's like people who dress lame are assumed to be cops, just really um, obvious undercover cops. Yeah. Anyway, Willem Dafoe's like wisely points the guy out and is like, I think we shouldn't do the drug deal in the party he's delivering to that the dickhead we talked about from the hospital. Anyway, and then that guy is follow, follows him into a lot of watching him from a laundry at one point, uh, Willem Dafoe that is, and Willem Dafoe confronts him and is like, are you a cop? And then the guy is very succinctly the biggest douche cop in the world. Yeah. <laughs> very quickly goes from, hmm, look, I've got police badge. But also, do you think you're a big time low life douche? You're not. I can fucking, I don't know, he says I like, grind him up or something. Yeah, you're I grind you up right here. And fucking, I'm going to slap you very lightly in the face and intimidate you and shove you into a laundrette window that breaks very easily with the mildest of touches. And do now that I've done property damage, you know I'm fucking a toughy cop. I am. So you better, there's been a murder. The girl was connected to rich, fancy people. You're in trouble if you haven't got any information. I'm going to bust you every day of the week or something. And then Willem Dafoe's like, oh, I guess, I guess that's me told. Uh, and then this guy flounces off in his quite big suit. It was the 90s. Um, and and the, the, they kind of have this, is there a murder thing? Like, you sort of think, okay, that'll spice the plot up. There's a suspicious murder in the park that's been brought up now more than once is Anne going to be the person who's dosing young girl rivals or is Robert up to something or is some other character we don't know uh, murdering girls and, and may maybe the guy with glasses right the German guy could have been connected to it Do we don't get an explanation do we about this dead girl with drugs on her do we no we don't yeah irritating. I, I was think I was trying to actually think like did I just forget did I miss it but like, yeah, I don't know. I th I think it could connect because she has like uncut drugs on her, 
and she could be someone they've dealt to or connect but it isn't it isn't like a big part of the story it's just there to be a, not a red herring but like to to mislead with relevancy uh, but like it doesn't come it's not like about that yeah because Susan Sarandon is doing quite a good job of playing this character because she's you know seemingly quite shallow and you know uh, the archetype of a kind of do nothing well, you know, busy, talkative New York socialite. Yeah. Uh, and then I mean, there's a sense that she's a quite a tough boss because she kind of puts the phone in his place when he's been missing work. Yeah, I do. I like, um, like for what it is, I I like their like trio, like the the relationship. Like I I boss it, and like she's really well cast as this like. Uh, almost like matronly kind of figure to these characters. Like I buy her as the like the boss kind of thing. Yeah. And it, 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 she has a, her level of street smash. She doesn't have like, you know, she has her like middle class socialite. Uh, she knows to be sensible, not to risk too much, but also how to connect dots and, and network. And how to make things happen, and she she's enough has enough personality to suggest she's maybe a bit bored and wants something interesting to happen. And I think at some point she's like, uh, that there's an Orthodox Jew carrying money for them or taking money, and because you know, get a Jew oh. if you've got money things going on. Of course. <laughs> yeah, I, I think I'm assuming he's there, like I don't know, accountant or something. But maybe it's an illicit thing as well. But she's trying to keep it game to stay and socialize with her. And like, she's like, well, we're friends, but you should get a husband. And she's <laughs> like, ah, are you kidding? You're so Jewish. Lol. No, but seriously, I'm bored today. Like, she <laughs> seems to be like, I'm, I'm, I'm in my 40s. I haven't got kids or a family. So I need something to happen here. Like, she's a bit bored and, and stuff, I think. I think that's why they're partly considering going to cosmetics. It's just, fuck, we need something. This is we've drugs for so long successfully. You know what to do. Um and she you know, she suggests over lunch with over the one raspberry with Defoe that, you know, she's kind of <laughs> reconsidering her life. Yeah. yeah. So I like that there's a lot of character developed there. Robert's there's slightly less to him, but you know, you can see his you know, he fits into the puzzle. Um and then uh, there's a sense that she's dangerous. Like you get a feeling, oh, she could put a foot down and put people in line. And even when she, they have to go and bail out this, this glasses guy keeps being a, a regular nuisance that needs their drugs or them to meet with him. And so when they go to the meeting at the end, there's a sense that she's quite savvy. Like she gets it. You know, yes. Yeah, yeah. It's a dangerous situation. It has to be dealt with properly, but also she can tell when people who have guns on them are not going to use them. And so yeah, she de-guns I, a couple of gay. Yeah, I henchmen. really like that. That was a that, again. This is so. I, I think I said this while I was watching it. Um, like the last sort of thirty-ish minutes of the film is. It's almost like when that, that's when the film starts, <laughs> and and it becomes interesting for the last thirty minutes. And there's some good like actual tension. And I suppose you could argue that a lot of the slow build-up is part of what makes that last thirty minutes actually work. But like. Yeah, it's more like it. The film kind of like tapped me on the face and woke me up and was like, "Hey, we're doing stuff." Yeah, it's it's like the reason why in the film Scarface, Brian De Palma had the the iconic, you know, 
drug deal gone bad chainsaw shower scene early on to establish yeah. drug deals are dangerous and a make or break. And it's like this one, finally, some guns are pulled and people are killed and danger happens. And it's in the last bit is a kind of finally, uh, Willem Dafoe pulls his finger out and decides to do something, well, you know. The before. I mean, I, I, the big, the, the, the moment where the, the film kind of started like clicking its fingers in my face and being like, hey, wake up, is when yeah. he went to do the drug deal with Teague and his ex. Because the, the, the ex's mother dies. Of cancer um, that she had. And place. he turns yeah. up at the funeral. <laughs> um, and she is mental. She's grieving yeah. and angry with him because she made it very clear. Go yes. away forever, please. Very explicitly clear. But, um, yeah, he goes to do some kind of deal with Tig and it turns out she's there and she's high off her tits on something. She sweated her fucking tits off and yeah. looking at a very low end. Rough. Yeah, mm. and then... Um, when he leaves, uh, it turns out she threw herself out the fucking window. Well, did she? That's the or, question. Yeah, maybe. Um, yeah. Abby, what did you make of, of the movie picking up in terms of putting more dramatic crime in the latter part of the film? So this Was this something for you that, like Jamie it says, put... it sort of woke him up a bit, but what, how was it for you? They put more crime in, but they didn't actually attach it to anyone. What do you mean, attach it to anyone? Uh, like, we don't know who gave her drug. We don't know how she got to be with uh, a man, Zurich. Teague. We don't know if he started her off on drugs, if he deliberately got her off on drugs, if he did kill her. The we don't know if he killed the girl the in sis- the park. The sister infers that she might have been a bit... Like, her mum's dying of cancer, maybe that drew her back to drugs anyway. Uh... Like this, this like you say, Abby. There's no clear answer, but there's implicate. There's a lot of valid reasons that she could have been. There's, no, it's not completely random, but it doesn't come with conclusions. Is that what you were saying? Yeah, it's it knocks the stuffing out of the drama because you don't actually know what it. Yes, yeah. What it attaches to. The That's... inference is that he, if he didn't, if she didn't commit suicide, he didn't want to have anything to do with it. Yeah, it doesn't it doesn't clarify whether he killed her because he was like, Oh shit, this might fuck stuff up, or whether she killed herself and it was just like, Oh everybody or if out. he's just maybe he's a serial killer and abuses people up. Because he, he we meet him at a hospital where a young girl is overdosed. That's yeah, he might have been responsible for the one in the park too. Again, it's But it's he all... did he took he took this girl to the hospital, so he didn't want her dead. So but he doesn't care about her. That's the thing. Like, if the film had maybe started to do this stuff earlier, it could have been maybe been able to like tie some more of the threads together and just made something a little bit more engaging than sad man with big face walks around. Sometimes you don't find out the answer to questions. No, like... I know, and I'm fine with that too. Like, I, yeah. I, I'm not. I don't have a problem with the ambiguity necessarily so much as I have a problem with like the film just sort of meanders a lot until this point and then starts ramping up really quickly but also doesn't have yeah. enough time to really like to get like any sort of interesting hooks in it, it it's a real weird one because on the one hand it, it's successfully being uh low key and realistic slice of life of these degenerate middle class people um but it's also 
it's being salacious without having it be conclusive. Again, it's it's structured in a very similar way to Taxi Driver, which also does have a very meandering is the wrong word because it's like a negative connotation. But like Taxi Driver is, is a very like deliberately paced film that takes a long time to get to where it's going, but it is directed in a very different way. Like you it has much more um like rawness and like texture to it. Whereas this is very just sort of I don't know. It's almost like it's okay. it, like you're shrugging in the same way that like the main character is kind of, yeah. and it and it isn't helped by the awful music. So. It isn't no, but you know get the, the the ins and outs of this scene is basically he has an awkward moment with his girlfriend who ditched him again. She's back on drugs. He's probably concerned, but he doesn't have really much time to contemplate it because she's thrown out or jumps out of a, a glass like a of a. A, a skyscraper, he hears something, goes back around the corner, and it's like, oh shit, that she's dead. Because he doesn't confront her when she's all a mess. He just politely leaves because he's he doesn't well, want he doesn't to want get to into make it a there. scene and fuck everything yeah. up. Yeah, with her or like his client. Yeah, and all we know about this tea guy is oh, he's a bit of a bad sort, and he he's some sort of sex guy. Either he's vaguely bisexual and a bit of a party guy, and like. I'm fairly a sex well off. guy. Just because he's got like that, he's got like a young guy with him who's gay, I think. Um, mm. But they don't like show him having orgies. It's just like after party stuff or pre. Like he's always yeah, everything with people. Very implied. Yeah, he's a partier and he's indulgent, but it, they don't, you know, we don't know the ins and outs. And he's a bit, you know, of a sociopath, but whatever. Like, and so anyway, he the the news becomes oh, this person jumped to, jumped to her death. And there was no there was no one in the room, so that's a lie. And then the foe, uh, as Johnny gets to phone up that cop guy and be like, "Look, all I'm telling you is there were people in that fucking room. Think about it. Uh, bye." Um, and so he's he's trying. I guess because he do- he dobs the guy into the cops, he what Teague wants to meet up. That's the crucial bit, isn't it? Is, yeah, like he knows someone's been. That. He he says someone's been talking to the cops, and he clearly knows or suspects that it's it's Latour. Also Latour. we haven't said yeah his name's yeah. John Latour. Uh so so the re so what happens then is he he's asked to meet up with him. He wants to I guess he wants to talk or intimidate him or something. And is I don't know the scene plays out with Anne is asked to come along, and she's like, "Oh fuck! All right then. I don't know why I have to do help little baby out with his problem, but sure, I'm. Oh well, yeah, whatever. Just meet the guy." Defoe goes it. and puts his horrible cologne on. Yeah, yeah. What's with his bathing in horrible cheap air? They keep calling it airport cologne. <laughs> what did you make of that, Abby? Is that is that uh fun stuff for you? I think like your budget's your budget. But it's the fact that he literally poured it over himself. Yeah. That was troubling to me. Is it like a nervous tick that he did? Like I, I, it's I like it's it. very specific. I like specific. the way I smell with it. Mm. Like, did he feel dirty and he needed to feel Maybe, cleaner? Uh, or something? I don't know. But the weird. pouring, that was not right. To the point where he's in a he's in like the fucking room, like the medical room in a funeral parlor or something. And like the woman's like, oh, what's that smell? And I was thinking it would be the chemicals. It's like, no, it's me. I'm <laughs> doused in cologne, like the fucking. Yes, it smells like formaldehyde. It's very cheap. <laughs> yes. Anyway, so he fucking clones up, and he's previously 
there's a fun scene where he uh buys his way into a uh, a shitty bar. Mm. He has some connection where he there's like a guy he has to buy a gun from. Oh yeah, I did. I quite like that scene too. Yeah, it felt like proper normal crime stuff that shows you there's dangerous people. It shows you, oh, he's getting a gun. He doesn't normally have a gun, uh, and he's buying it over the odds because he's panicked and he's sure he's explained that he's in a rush. So they're like, well, yeah. you're obviously paying a lot then, and you're getting a, a gun that can be traced to the co- that's been bought that's been sold by, by a cop to us. So it's pretty much unsellable apart from to fools. Um, so he does get this uh, stupid gun. And it's to, I guess he's has in mind to either protect himself or just to get revenge. I guess revenge yeah, I think is quite besotted yeah. with a listening to a fucking shit answer phone all the time on his massive uh stereo. You know, Susan Strandon and Defoe, they pop along to this hotel to meet this guy that may or may not have killed Defoe's ex girlfriend. Uh and he has an extra gay guy in the room, I guess. Uh, and he's, he's in another room, and it's all a bit, oh, yeah, what, are these guys going to pull guns and either rob them or do something bad? And then Susan Sarandon is absolutely, fuck this noise, uh, you know, cuck, cucks them with their guns. And, they, <laughs> and she went, she de, she de-guns them in a, in a kind of, oh, grow up kind of way, and then throws the guns down, which they then pick up again. It's like, why did you de-gun them if you like give them to Defoe or throw them out? You know. I quite I quite liked the realism of that scene of her doing that and then like not thinking it through, so they just picked them back up again. Yeah, it's really odd. And she doesn't know uh, Johnny has a gun on him because you know why would he? She's not aware of how, how fucked the situation is going to be. Yeah. And the guy from the other like Teague is in the other room, but it, does he come through or do they? Does does he comes? Uh, yeah, he comes in to apologize, basically. <laughs> So are we reading the situation? Because basically, he's there. He's going to intimidate them, or possibly try and stop Johnny talking in some way because he's mm-hmm. worried he's going to get investigated. And it may or may not be an admission of guilt. Like he's obviously told two guys who are not killers <laughs> to do this. They're obviously like you know being paid to try and intimidate. And they feel there's an element of ad libness to it. Yeah. It doesn't feel like a, a serial killer with his henchmen. It feels. I think there's. The, okay yeah, I think it's more that he's just a he's a powerful person who's done illicit things and like this. Doesn't want to go to jail. And now he's like potentially fucked it up because he, you know, he's there's this situation he wasn't aware of. Um, yeah. And he sort of does this like, uh, it seems like a very like half cocked r- rich potentially dangerous person thing to do where like it's almost like a sort of soft intimidation where yeah. he's like not like in a, not like the erection that William Defoe has in the film <laughs> um like being like uh threatening but in a sort of affable friendly way like you know trying to be like come on we don't we don't need to talk to the police or anything it's just come on do what i say or i will shoot you but then yeah it kicks off yeah who who does what who pulls on who first? And Seems random de-guns them. They re-gun themselves. She goes to leave, but I think she realises that they might well be getting ready to kill John. So she because, starts... Well, the, she's, the, the, it's the Tegan is like insisting he wants to talk to Johnny and she's going to leave for... Like, you go, he'll catch up when we've had a little tete-a-tete. Yeah. She's sort of begrudgingly about to leave. And, and then... then she starts banging on doors saying that there's a fire, so she like 
so nothing can happen is what I think she's she's running down yeah. a corridor saying fire so that there can't be a shootout yeah. because there's too much attention. And then there is a shootout. Yeah. And uh so, you know, these two idiots they, they shoot him in the arm and the leg while he shoots them, but how the fuck did they get his leg? I mean, for fuck's sake, you're like two foot away. I mean, you found it a bit stupid, did you? Absolutely. As a tiny, they were, well, the room itself was quite large, but they were in the corner next to the door. There was at most like eight feet between them. He's never used a gun before, so he did fairly well. But they was, absolutely really fucking he appalling. To, sorry, he had to ask the guy he bought the gun off, how do I use it? They were like, Bleh. fucking, like, the fuck are you talking about? He's like talking another language to one of the guys. He's like, this fucking prick. Like, you, you, you pull, you know, you pull the trigger, they, which I don't think is right. You have to pull the hammer back as well. Like, and, yeah, yeah, he didn't, he didn't say anything about the hammer. Gun. No, he didn't, did he? Sorry, Abby, I cut you off. Um, In your face, gun dealer. <laughs> you you do, can't you explain guns properly, you fucking shit, mate. Uh, you can't. You don't. You never fight a gun either, Abby, have you? No, but I still know you have to put the hammer back first. I'm more of a hammer guy anyway, just a hammer. Just fucking... Were you, what's it called? Is that Joaquin Phoenix you would never really hear, is it? it was oh, called? yeah. My approach, fucking like a psychopath. Hammer everyone before they could think. Anyway, Abby, sorry. So, yeah, like getting in the shoulders, one thing you could dodge a bit, but why the fuck were they, where were they aiming to mean that they got him sort of upper calf on his right? Maybe they, uh, maybe they were instructed not to kill him. So they were like panicking and like, well, we have to do, stop him from shooting us, but he told us not to kill him. I think when someone's shooting at you, it's uh, goodbye, fuck you. But also, yeah. when you're being shot at, maybe you can't aim so good, but the leg is piss poor. <laughs> like, what? Uh, but they, they're getting shot at. They do get shot fatally, I think. And then the foe goes and confronts Teague, who's ran away. And there's a moment of like, Teague, should I get my gun out of my purse? <laughs> and then like, before anything can happen, he's shot in the head by uh, Johnny, and then that, and then Johnny finally can sleep lightly again. Uh, he just goes, "Ah, oh, bollocks!" Ah, so yes, the, the, the non the non recurring theme of the film that it's was a, said once, <laughs> inferred once, and not really followed up on, apart from his, I you know, he's in bed a couple of times, but it's not like he's a light sleeper per se. And it's not like he's had insomnia. It's not like they're playing on a dr- like if he was like a junkie again and it was it had insomnia from doing too much drugs or something. No, but, that's what I mean. I, it's just not an element of the plot. It's a really strange title. He just sits down, lies back, and uh, jump cut to he's in jail and having a chat with Anne about. So what happened after the shootout that we finally did something? We finally made the film exciting. <laughs> and now that's that. We want to know what happened. Uh, and then it's got the most like in the last five minutes they kind of say what the point of this was and it was Anne explains he explains to Anne in jail uh, I've got my sentencing or hearing or something coming up and I'm probably going to get five to seven years that's okay prison's not that bad I guess I will fix with you well, turns out I had to very much commit to the cosmetic business because the police were very much investigating my ass <laughs> after I was involved with a drug deal shootout. 
So I was committed to that, but our, our friend Robert is back to drug dealing. I guess he expected it to be uh, fun, easy work because <laughs> of it. And he was like, oh, drugs is better. And he went back to that. And now I'm happy and fine and I'm moving on to a, you know, a, I'm a, you know, 40s is the new 30s. Hooray. <laughs> um, like like your letters that you've brought that are presumably the most garbage evil oh, type you've God. ever heard. And then Willem I cannot Defoe's imagine. Like, yeah, and then Willem Dafoe's like, oh, I love you, let me smell your hand, goodbye. Like, I, I'll come out in five years where you definitely would, won't have moved on and forgotten about me. <laughs> <laughs> like, um, it's, not, it's the early 90s now, we're pushing the 2000s by the time he's out of jail. She has fucked right off, and her business has flopped, and is probably doing something else by five years from then, you know? The Did anyone else notice the fact that the uh, whenever he... Um... Kisses her hand and it like the credits start. It's not a freeze frame. It, yeah, it, not for ages. Like, yeah, no he, it's just him with his eyes closed against her hands. Yeah, you, it was a strange. Tell he's choice. feeling awkward. Is he's it? Not, doesn't get a lot of hand sniffing in prison. Not the good kind. <laughs> Is it supposed to be that like because we can see, you know, his his eyes are moving under his closed eyelids is the idea supposed to be like is it talking about the light sleeper thing and now he's like oh, having like rapid eye movement he's dreaming I just it was such a specific choice to well, have it, it not be it, a freeze frame it almost could be a dream that Anne visited him because quite frankly she'd have no reason she should possibly also be in jail oh that's like that bollocks thing where people talk about the end of Taxi Driver actually being his like death dream or whatever. Well, like, I don't no. think it was a dream, per, per se. I just said maybe they they could have... Infer- like, it's bollocks that... I mean, it, it's just it's, it's still a bit deluded because it's basically the movie's going, ah, well, Willem Dafoe thought his ex that he loved but was a druggie with is the woman to be with. But actually, Anne's loved him a little bit all along. It could have worked. But so, you never... You never, you weren't sober at the right time and yeah. the one time you had sex, you couldn't remember. So it didn't become a thing. And it turns out when shit hits the fan, you guys are cool with each other. Like you, you, you two are the most like mensch people in your group of drug dealing assholes. You could have had each other back a lot sooner. And now, when you're out of prison, I guess she's middle aged. You're middle aged. You both washed up crime dudes. The 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 it, lesson it of the work. film is essentially all of this could have been avoided. Yes, including <laughs> us watching the bastard film. If only I'd watched it first before suggesting it, I might have pushed more heavily for the film Hardcore, which is also by this director, and is very good and enjoyable. I wish we'd watched that instead, but we watched this one. Sorry. It was okay. I, I think it's still... It's quality, but you have to, like, forgive it. It's embarrassing I, indulgences of, like... Yeah, it's a, it's a really... Yeah, I mean, yeah, that's bullshit. that's just awful. But um, it's a really, really strange one because, like, it it's one of those films, and we've I feel like we've done a fucking million of them at this point. It's one of those films where, like, there is a good film in here, um, and the whole time you're not watching the film, you're trying to find the good one <laughs> in it. And maybe. I, I mean, I suppose if it, you know, if people like this film, maybe I'm just missing something. But I it, think, it's I think not it has like to be a right age, right? Because this is thirty late thirties, early forties people. This is midlife crisis drug dealer noir, 
And it's kind of, this is a crime thriller, but for people who are washed up and haven't died young, like in an exciting crime movie. I guess, like, but like we're the all... the highs or the low lows. It's just we are all in our late 30s, thought, like... though. <laughs> and we're all like, oh, this is fucking boring bollocks. Ah, <laughs> like... we, we are going to the movies to not have our lives reflected at ourselves. <laughs> to escape into something else, not give us... Yeah, getting 30-odd is kind of like, fucking hell. Pull my act together. Uh, I should it's move just... on from my childish endeavours and grow up. I know because it's uh, 2023. You don't have to do that anymore. Um, uh, it's, it's like it's it's a frustrating one because you're like this. There is something here, and it's like and again, like I was like I was saying earlier, I could imagine this being better as like a a short novel than an actual like script or film. Yeah. Um, I do feel like a lot of it is. I just maybe I just don't like. Paul Schrader's like directing style, um, because he's written movies that I really like, and yeah. you know, are well, obviously the suggestion for it. I thought, oh, surely, yeah. And I mean, he's he's not just written movies that I like; he's written movies that are genuinely like important, yeah, fil- like in person. film. Yeah. Um. So it's not that he's not talented. It's just I don't know. I just not his. He has almost like a TV movie. Style direction. I don't know. It's just really off and and not. It doesn't have any flair to it. And this script needs something to like boost it, like to elevate it. What say you, Abby? To keep within the theme of the regular sex talk, it's it's a bit of a semi. <laughs> it's just you know what it's going for, but it's not there. And it's a bit sad. Oh God! <laughs> it's, it, like I said before, it's a tumescent film. It's like it's half threading rope. Yeah, <laughs> it's a it's a disappointment in the bed. Just like the sex scene was all talk and and then nothing, <laughs> and then a breakup. Ooh. And that's that. Fuck! I I I don't know. Like I don't know. Put it on if you want to lightly sleep through it. I would say. <laughs> it's, it, it's got some stuff, hasn't it? It's got something, but it's not enough. Yeah, I, it's. It, I think you just need to have characters that are a little bit more interesting, and we need to get to the interesting stuff in the story a bit quicker. It could be introspective. Yeah. It could be a little bit washed up. Uh, you know, middle class. I, I think it's so interesting to see. It's such an unveiled world. The higher up the chain drug dealer. You don't see a lot of that mid-range. It's either the it's the highs and the lows usually. It's not Yeah. Yeah, it's mid- either Scarface or Train Spotting. Yes. And this one um, was like, you know it was good to see it, but it was also like fucking, you know, a lot of women who have cancer and uh sitting awkwardly in your room being sad and you know, being emo <laughs> gives a shit. Um. Yeah, I think it speaks to the problems with the way that, like, the presentation of the film that, like, it has such a good cast, and but it you struggle to care about any of them. Yeah, I mean, I and, like, don't like middle class dickhead, like, like you know, privileged white people at the best of time. Just <laughs> comfortable New Yorkers whose main problem is their life's a bit boring, even though 
they're drug dealers. It should be like, oh, poor fucking you. But that's the thing. I don't understand how they made it boring. I don't. That's what I mean. Yeah, that's what I mean. Like, there's there's so much here that could be something. They they almost get into the realm of comedy occasionally, like Willem Dafoe trying to stop the guy whose life's falling apart that he has to deal drugs to. And he's like, you got to fucking, you, you're too high pro. This is mad. You're going to fuck your life up and it's going to be a problem for me. And then he like, he kicks the guy in the face and then calls yeah. his, bro- his brother to come and like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you need to come help your brother. He's And then he kicks him in the face. He needs medical <laughs> assistance. It's been a medical emergency. Yeah. So he's, you know, he's, there's almost like a, a dark comedy element to it. And I think, oh, fucking push it further then. Yeah, there could be the more of that. Thing. Like, yeah. The fact that they're a creepy uh, trio of drug dealers who are a little bit, like, odd. And make it make it odd then. Make it, you know, make them have a, an uncomfortable relationship. Don't just have the guy wearing a bum bag. Have the bum bag be a real personality thing and, like, make him into a comedy bum bag wearing gay guy who fucking <laughs> is a bit of a character rather than just... A believable guy who lives in a flat or an apartment have fucking you know silly personality jacket guy come up more and be relevant and like make like you know the fact that they have David Spade in there sh- shooting shit and Willem Dafoe's character is like self aware about how druggies talk shit and he's like but you're writing a diary mate it's not that different from yeah God has to exist because God does exist you know <laughs> like. You're not that high up. He, and he, he has some self-awareness, but really he never really grasps that he's a pretentious wanker who doesn't know what's good for him. And he's so naive as well. He never read he like he can twig the cops after him, but he doesn't read women very well. Like he's failed to tell that Anne could have been a relationship. And he's failed to see he should stop visiting the woman whose, you know, life he ruins by accident. You know, like he's not perceptive in that way. I don't know. Uh, there's, there's, it's fertile ground, but I don't think it's exploited enough for what it could be. Is it? That's what we're sort of coming at. I think as a, as a group, I hope could have been yeah. better. Should have been better. Yeah. Some people really like it, though. Some people are like, wow, this is mature. Yeah, I don't get making. it. They're just people who are old, and they want. Serious stuff. They just were, it's almost mumble call the times you have to fucking go, what were they saying? <laughs> Was that consequential? I don't know. <laughs> What's this? Like, it's because we, we dumped in their laps and their lives are already clear to them and not clear to us. We're like, right, but who are characters who are going to reoccur and who are characters who don't matter two shits? I don't know. Who, are, who are any of you are? And then by the end, you're like, oh, I see. <laughs> it was mostly about Anne and Johnny. I'm glad, Dave. Murdered some people and dealing with the consequences. Am I? Uh, uh. Anyway, sorry. That's my that's my lot. I'm out. I'm done. I'm going to sleep. Okay. Is that it? No other bits. No missed bits, Abby. No notes of. Of course, I didn't mention this. Uh, you were briefly irritated by photos being the wrong way in a photo album. I. I when he was looking back at old photos of badly taken old photos, I mean, they were junkies. So there's like thumbs over the lenses and stuff. And it's just when you have your old fashioned 90s photo album and then, yeah, a vertical picture is in sideways. Like, I feel sick. I mean, there's no, there's no, what can you do? Uh, the photo album is sideways. The picture has to be sideways. I mean, just 
it's just my OCD being like, I need all my pictures to be tidy, please. That, that was my main problem, I suppose. You don't have four albums anymore, do you? Fuck, it's all Instagram and your phone, isn't it? Oh, those are the days. Beepers and physical photographs, guys. Do you remember? You took one picture, didn't you? And you didn't know what it looked like until you got developed. It was like a little surprise, like a Kinder Egg, wasn't it? Oh, remember the past, guys? Love the past, didn't you? You had to rent Light Sleeper on VHS from Blockbuster, guys. This never oh. made it to VHS. It definitely did, right? 92? You think it came out of the cinema and that's a hit? I don't remember seeing it in the video store in fairness. Jamie, do you remember seeing Light Sleeper with a little chicken out thinking I had on it? I had never heard of this sort of until we did it for this. No, I've been sleeping on it. Ugh. I don't know. That's the joys of the internet. Now you can just look stuff up and go, I like this guy. What have I done? What's that? Mm. <laughs> oh, it's this. Bollocks. You know, and then the next time you go down the well, you go, oh, I found a nugget of gold and I love it. Mm. Anyway, I recommend Hardcore. <laughs> this film, no. Hardcore, yes. Do it. And not the dirty kind of pot where well, it is about porn, but like it's, it's not an act. Oh, forget it. Bye. Bye. <laughs> <laughs>